G'day humans, what's good word? Chris Funder here with Fruity as Alex for another edition of Wrestling All Style. This time talking Fallout Down Under for Beyond the Mat. Alex, how are you, friend? I was just laying in bed. I looked over at my partner and we said to each other, what's the problem? Couldn't think of anyone else either. <laughs> and then, it was then... with this line, Alex spent the next six months on the couch. <laughs> So uh, there's my obligatory opening the show with a quote from what we're about to review. Um, Do you have any memories of when Beyond the Mat came out? Because I actually have vivid memories of this as a child. I'm pretty sure I've probably, it's probably another one of those shows I've watched with you. Because I haven't watched it in so, so long. And then yep. watching it the other night, it just all sort of gone, oh, yeah, I remember all this. Oh, but man, it's iconic. I haven't watched it in, yeah, years and years and years and years. Oh, probably at least the last time I would have watched it was before me wrestling break. So, yeah, probably I would have watched it with you. <laughs> yeah, probably. Because um, I vividly remember, like, going to, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Kmart in Wangaratta. Um, I was on school holidays, and sometimes on school holidays I'd go to work with mum. Mum worked in Wangaratta at the time. And, you know, to get me to shut up, she'd, like, you know, at the end of the week, she'd let me go into Kmart and grab what I wanted. Just one thing. One thing you can grab. And I saw this VHS on the for sale, and it was a giant case, and it said "Beyond the Mat" on it. It was written in blood, and I was like, looked on the back. I saw Mick Foley, and I saw um, saw The Rock was pictured on the back as well, even though he's barely in this. And I was like, you know what? We're gonna have to get this. This is gonna have to be my thing. And then. Took it home, opened it up, and it came with a free T-shirt. It was awesome. <laughs> I used to wear it all the time. I remember I fell off my bike and I put a hole in it, and we had to sadly retire the Beyond the Mat T-shirt. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I remember vividly the day that I got a giant hole in the middle of my Beyond the Mat T-shirt because I went... Ass over tea kettle, and at some point the shirt just hooked onto the handlebar and just ripped because the quality of the t-shirt was very, very questionable. I see you pulled it up on Google there. Yeah, is it uh, this one here that comes with the VHS tape? Yeah, yeah. It's the... marketed as WWF Beyond the Mat. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's probably sitting in, like, my parents' storage room or something like that in the spare room, hidden away somewhere, the VHS. It's probably worth something now. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because VHSs are becoming really decent sellers. Oh, $49.95, that's not bad. I should buy it. (laughs) Get get that T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose you could. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, 
So yeah, I used to and watch a poster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I remember vividly, like, ripping that poster as soon as I got it. Accidentally, <laughs> just just being a clumsy young child, and just completely ripped it. It's probably, oh man, heartbreaking to think of. But Look yeah, how chunky that VHS box is. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was just so thick. It was like the size of like three VHSs stacked up because they had the entire T-shirt folded up inside of it. Uh, Anyhow, that's enough uh, reminiscing about more of Alex's collectibles. Yeah, so, um, yeah, when I think of Beyond the Mat, I immediately think of owning the VHS, watching it heaps because... But we'll get into it later, but it made me fall more in love with Mick Foley as a child. Yeah, it's sort of, um, <laughs> it centers around three wrestlers and looking at the, uh, the US poster here, one of the wrestlers it centers around isn't even on the front. <laughs> no, no. Um, one of the wrestlers that's on the front is maybe in this movie for like, two, three minutes in terms of exclusive footage. Like, there's a good amount of footage of him wrestling, but in terms of exclusive documentary footage, maybe two, three minutes. <laughs> yes, the great one. <laughs> yes, old Dwayne. Um, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's really cool looking at that US theatrical poster. That Noel Foley gets on the front cover because I think, like, coming out of watching this, she's like just hilarious in this movie. Nipples. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, I suppose you're a bit like that when you're that age. Yeah, she's like, I think it's real funny when my dad does a fart. <laughs> ah, well, he is a. Uh... It is a bit funny, but um, yeah, the man, three men they center around is um, Mick Foley, uh, Terry Funk, and Jake Roberts. And on the front cover is Mick Foley holding Noel, Terry Funk uh, participating in a match against Cactus Jack as well, and The Rock. I'm shocked they didn't put Stone Cold in there too, because he got to at least say a little bit in this documentary too. Shot yeah, that in thirty in... seconds. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I hey kid, how you going? Yeah, my my little girl's out in the audience. You should go catch up with her later. All right, bye. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it is um. Very, very weird, but um, yeah, some of the um exclusive footage we get. Um, this is just going to be more of a, a broad overview rather than segment by segment or even uh, scene by scene. Yeah, um, because there is a lot to take in here. Yeah, I'm kind of dreading talking about the Jake Roberts portion, even though I quoted him at the start of this. Um. Yeah, so I think 
How about let's talk about the journey of Mike Modest and Tony Jones? Sure. <laughs> Where do we start for that? Yeah, so we see... Uh, Oh, I forgot the name of the company. I think it was AAW or... A- no, it was APW. And this promoter, Roland Alexander, running some indie shows. Um, he is pretty much how I picture all promoters to be, especially back in the 90s. <laughs> Just He appears to be like a very cutthroat, sort of untrustworthy guy. Like, he's telling things to the camera like, oh, yeah, all my guys get paid and they get paid well. And then it cuts to, like, his top guy, Mike Modest. Yeah, sometimes we don't get paid. And if we do, we don't get paid that well. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're the best-paying indie promotion in in America. (laughs) And Mike Modest is like, yeah, I've gotten better paydays from other promotions. (laughs) So, yeah, immediately you're just like, yeah, this guy's a bit scummy. And then I do understand his passed away, so I don't mean any uh, ill will to him, but, like, that's just the way this movie paints him, I guess, is the direction I'm thinking of. And um, at one point he gets some new potential trainees. They come in and he's like giving them the rundown, like, you got to pay this much, you gotta, got to get give me this deposit and you got to pay at least 500 bucks a week or whatever it was, and if you're late on payday, you're going to – you can't train. And if you don't pay, you don't play, and blah, blah, blah. And then this, like, rotund, like, really unhealthy-looking man is just like – so, uh, how cautious are you guys about your diet? Uh, do you, you guys know to read all the labels, look out for your jack in the boxes, whatever that means? I don't know. Um, all that sort of stuff is just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the guy to be talking about this with them, right? <laughs> yeah, he's sort of, um, I suppose it's the way the editing's done, but he sort of comes across a bit of a loan shark in a way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you got serious vibes of if you didn't pay him in time, you might get your legs broken. And yeah. it def- definitely wasn't b- by him. Oh, that's right. Jack in the Box is a fast food chain in the US. Okay, yeah. Yep. All right. Um. So then we get to meet... Uh, Tony Jones is a young upstart who's got a lot of potential. Uh, Who knew he'd go on to have a career commentating football for Channel 9? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you know it's a good footy reference if even I get it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, that's great. And then, yeah, Tony Jones is kind of like a taller, skinnier sort of D'Lo Brown. I think because of his singlet, he gave me real D'Lo Brown vibes with the singlet on. Um, Then Mike Modest, who's like the top guy for Roland Alexander, and he lives in the attic above the training place. And then they finally get a tryout with the WWF. And this was the interesting stuff, I thought, especially as a kid. 
getting to see behind the scenes at the WWF for the first time. So cool. Um, we get to see some Jim Cornette try to calm down these two young guys and give them a bit of a speech. And we get to see JR and Jim Cornette react to their match backstage. And Vince McMahon walks by and just happens to walk by just as Mike Modest uh, kind of botches a move. <laughs> He's like, oh, we're going to have to work on that, aren't we? Um, after the match, Roland just tells him, like, tells Mike Modest, the feeling is that Tony Jones has a lot of potential, but you're ready. And uh, JR gives, like, I remember, like, what listening to Colt Cabana's Art of Wrestling podcast, and like, this one line from JR stuck with Colt Cabana his entire career. He always mentions it. Gotta really build up those, uh, that upper body there, Tony. You know, wear something a bit more flattering, you know, get those shoulders a bit bigger as his patting his shoulders and stuff and Cole Cabana's like, that's why I wear a singlet so you don't have to see my gut. It's more flattering. Yeah, all, fair enough. It's, it's all because of beyond the mat for him. <laughs> um, so this time frame, uh, late 90s, has JR uh, had his health problems at this point? Uh, say, I'm not too sure when the... The tryout was, but I have a feeling that was like 1998 or late 98. So if that, but yeah, he 98. Def, he definitely had his uh, issues in early 99 because that's why Michael Cole was on commentary for Mankind's title win and the I Quit match, which they are backstage for the I Quit match, and you can even see JR feeding the commentators' lines during this documentary. So, I yeah, suppose, around that time, I guess. I suppose um, also, like, how we see uh, JR sort of feeding the lines to Cole. Do you think Cole does that now with some of the newer guys on Raw and um, NXT to a degree? Yeah, it's um, yeah, Renee Young's because sort of, I listen to Renee Young's podcast. I listen to so many bloody wrestling podcasts actually, and she, yeah, she talks about it. Like Cole feeds the lines to the NXT commentators and all that. Um, like, when you're an NXT commentator, Michael Cole is the boss, so everything you say is through him. But uh, but when you're on the main roster, like on Raw or SmackDown at the moment, it's Vince himself feeding you lines. Ah, fair enough then. I suppose, um, yeah. Did these guys ever go on to do anything because they sort of um they have their tryout and it's later revealed at the end of the movie like nothing really uh comes out of it for these two guys all right um i do recall mike modest having a little uh already in the ring run with wcw in the late 90s um 
yeah, he eventually got signed to a contract with WCW, although he was released after WWF bought WCW. Rat had a bit of a career in Noah in Japan, did some stuff with Stampede Wrestling. Wow. Uh, uh, Modest wrestled in a six-man tag team match with someone and Ryan Drago as La Migra on a episode of TNA Impact. They lost to the Latin American Exchange. There you go. He had a bit of an impact run in 05 <laughs> under a hood by the sounds of things. Um. Yeah, yeah. So is he hung around, but it didn't necessarily get the big spotlight that Roland Alexander had promised him. Well, he did get his big prime time moment. He got two, in fact. He was in Ready to Rumble. Oh, that's right. And my personal favourite exposed pro wrestling's greatest secrets. Oh, when are we reviewing that? Sometime soon, I think. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing that's on your list. Yeah, sometime soon. I'm not sure when. <laughs> but awesome. yeah, I'm, as the uh, the character Private Pain. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, Tony Jones sort of... Nothing really of um of note other than, yeah, his work for that tryout match and then sort of... Uh, a couple more tryout matches. He had a television match against Eugene on Heat and uh, a match against Gene Snitsky where he lost both matches a short time in Noah, but that's sort of about it. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. Um, yeah, I suppose we could speak about the other uh, trainee that's introduced in the film. Uh, which one's this, Tony Jones? No, no, we just talked about him and Mike Modest. The uh, the third one as they walk into Vince's office and there's the newest signee. Oh, yes, yes. We better talk about Darren Drozdov. Um, this was really intriguing. Just This is also just one of those really iconic scenes from these, from this movie that's just like, it's quoted by so many people. <laughs> um, yeah. So he has a special talent, and that is throwing up on command. <laughs> and, and Vince is like, we're going to name you Puke. And we have this meeting of Droz with Shane McMahon, Jim Ross, and Vince. And he's like, so you might as well do it. Don't get it on the table, huh? You gonna do it, huh? You gonna show us, huh? Huh? You gonna do it? You gonna do it? Oh, he's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. Oh, man. It's just iconic. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, it, it is just one of those weird things that um as soon as you uh see it again it instantly clicks back in oh yeah i have seen this 
Yeah, definitely. It <laughs> It is one of those things that when you say this out loud 20 plus years later, you're like, why the hell was this a thing? Yeah. Uh, it is, um, it's, uh, yeah, very, very weird. But, um, yeah, it, he was a former uh, NFL football player as well. Do you know sort of if he, uh, who he played for or what position or anything? I do not know too much about that. Um, yeah, no idea. So it says here he played three seasons with the Denver Broncos. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Oh, He's that's been awesome. doing something, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's like you always hear of like ex footballers coming to wrestling, but they only had like one season on the bench or whatever, or like one season on the training squad. But yeah, he had three seasons, so he must have been all right. Um, yeah, Droz is one of those just sad, sad stories in wrestling. I think he would have eventually have risen up up the card a fair bit at some point too. He had a look that was just it's it's funny now because like it's such a generic look in twenty twenty one. But he had this jacked up body with like tattoos all over him, the undercut and a beard. Like, no, I didn't just describe Alistair Black, I described Droz. But he had a very similar look that you now see like so many people with. But in 1998, 99, like even 97, like you just didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's completely true, too. Um, I suppose, uh, should we talk about it now or at the end of the, the movie? Uh, let, let's, um, yeah, let's do a, happy sandwich with it so we'll chuck this in the middle and then we'll end with some more light-hearted stuff yeah yeah so the film sort of cuts off saying um like gives a quick update of everyone says that tony jones and uh mike modest are sort of still back at that training school draws is on uh wwf raw and it sort of um goes through the credits and then says uh, three weeks after editing, Droz was paralysed and hopes to one day be able to walk again soon. That was the saddest part because, like, you know with hindsight, he doesn't walk again. Mm. Yeah, that was, like, the most devastating part. Like, as a kid, like, watching that, I was like, oh, yeah, he'll one day walk again soon. And then, like, here we are 20-plus years later. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it, it. Do you remember uh, what happened to cause the injury? Yeah, it was just a power bomb from D'Lo Brown, a sit-out power bomb, and, and and if you look at D'Lo Brown's career after that incident, it's all downhill for him because he lost confidence. He he's talked to. I've seen interviews with him before where he talked about he just 
couldn't work the way he used to work because he was so just traumatized from what happened to Droz. And it was just a complete freak accident and Droz doesn't blame D'Lo and D'Lo understands it was a, you know, freak accident sort of thing. Oh, there you go, running powerbomb. Um, it was just a complete freak accident and, yeah, D'Lo just couldn't get his confidence back. And, yeah, what's that, October 99? That uh, pr- pretty much coincides with the p- career trajectory of D'Lo Brown. Yeah, that's that's not good, poor D'Lo. Poor Droz. Yeah. yeah, it just didn't work out for... Obviously, it didn't work out for anyone involved because it was just such a horrific deal. And I got... Seen interviews before, everyone loved Droz backstage. It was a really happy, fun loving dude. And yeah, and like he's been on Dark Side of the Ring and stuff recently. Who's this? Droz. Oh, I thought you meant D-Lo because they both were last season. Oh, they both were. You're right. Um, because they they did touch on Droz's injury on Dark Side of the Ring at one point. Yeah, it was in the um, the Road Warriors episode, which is, it's not nice to go back and watch that, knowing that um, within a year, um, yeah. Hawk and Animal were both gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that is rough. I was thinking about going back and re-watching them all too, but yeah, you just made, gave me a reason to skip an episode. Um, now... Whilst we're talking sort of dark moments in wrestling and dark side of the ring, where's the over-the-edge pay-per-view take place with Owen Hart? So that would have been June, May, May 1999. No, no, um, Arena. Uh, Kansas City, I believe. Okay. Because for whatever reason, I'm thinking in my head it's NAS. Nassau Coliseum, but that's in Long Island. Yeah. So um, it's not that one. No. Uh, yeah, it was Kemper Arena. Kemper. Kansas City, yeah. Oh, there's something else freaky that happens in that arena in wrestling history. What's that? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to look it up. Uh, give me one second as I have a look. Um but, yeah, there's sort of – it's weird, I suppose. Um, so what time is the last WWF footage in here? Is it um the uh, – oh, what do you call it? The uh, Royal Rumble 99 is sort of the last WWF footage, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that thing. Uh, we'll touch on that later. I think we're since we're starting to get slightly serious here, I think we should talk about Jake. Yeah, give me one second here, sorry. But, um, yeah. Um, have you ever seen, what's the DDP? Is it the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts? Recently forced Eliza to watch it. 
Ooh, okay. So briefly, what did um, Eliza think of that? Thought, like her not knowing much about the background of, about wrestling and wrestlers, it was like really eye-opening to her. The story is quite, that movie's so inspirational. It, like, yeah, I watched it like one lazy Saturday morning with Eliza. And it was like, as soon as I was finished watching it, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out for a good long walk. You know, just pumped up to make myself a bit better. Yeah. It's like Jake and Scott. Um, this is the complete anti antithesis of the Jake Roberts DDP movie, though. So... I highly recommend after you've finished watching Beyond the Mat, if you haven't already, if you're just listening to this review, find out where to watch Jake the Snake Roberts Resurrection. I think it's it is on Amazon Prime Prime Video. Watch it. Cause it's like almost the happy ending Beyond the Mat truly needed. Yeah. Um, so I did look up, I believe it's um the uh brian pillman like the night they learned brian pillman died and the um like the next day do they do something on raw for brian pillman they had a tribute episode yeah it's yeah yeah. i believe the city that the um owen tribute show and the over the edge took place in like is within a year uh the same two cities that that happened in regard to um, uh, Brian Pillman. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like a year and a half, something like that, because Pillman was late 97, Owen was early 99. So, yeah, somewhere around that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's like a month later or something, WCW had a show in the Kemper Arena. So they made that an Owen Hart tribute show, and uh, Bret Hart had a match against Name Redacted, and it was such a good match. And uh, did I say Owen? Bret. Bret Hart had a match against Name. I think you said Bret. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bret had a match. It was a tribute match. It was so incredible. It's like the only real like classic Bret Hart match of his WCW career. And unfortunately it's rightfully so not going to be remembered in the history books. Yeah. Yeah. Enough said about that, but um, I suppose, yeah, we can talk about Jake. This is not fun to watch at all. Is it? No, no. Like, yeah, we see Jake and, is an addict. He admits to being an addict. He constantly makes references to it. He's pissing in buckets in indie shows. Like, oh, man. Like, his whole mindset about everyone and everything around him is just so just depressing. He's Like, at one point, he gets a hug. He... Brings in a young lady and a friend into the ring, and they get to pose with Jake and his snake and all that sort of stuff. And he's like, talking like, 
yeah, and I'll pick one out of the crowd and I'll tell them to come in and it'll be the best moment of their lives. And life will never get better from this very moment standing in the ring with me. And she'll go on and she'll probably end up having 17 kids and she'll become a truck driver and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) Just like, it was just like, wow, you just look at someone and you just see how their lives will fail. (laughs) That's how bad his mind space was. Like, it's how bad his mindset was. It was just, yeah. Um, What's your history of Jake Roberts knowledge like of his in-ring stuff uh, kind of patchy yeah you would have missed a fair chunk of his run yeah well pretty much the entirety if I think about it yeah <laughs> it wasn't um, on the tally when we were growing up and by then it was too late <laughs> yeah yeah and this is where the old VHS collection comes in because I yeah, like I had a I had a toy rubber snake and I used to put it put it in my um you remember when you used to go to school and you had a book bag for the library? Yeah. Yeah. I used to get this toy rubber snake, put it in a book bag, sling it over my shoulder and then walk into the lounge room and have a wrestling match with a pillow. <laughs> Hit the DDT because I used to love the old Jake Roberts VHS tapes. DDT. Yeah, <laughs> still the coolest finisher ever. Like when he did it back in the day, it was just incredible. Um, yeah, it's a shame what happened to the DDT. But that being said, I'm watching this movie as a younger man, <laughs> uh, as a young kid who's watched a lot of VHS tapes of Jake Roberts, and this was just traumatising as a kid. Yeah, and he's openly admitting to a drug use of uh, crack cocaine in this movie. Yeah, definitely. And we get to hear the, like, tragic backstory of his family. Yeah, that that I've seen before, and that that's um really sad. Yeah, it's messed up. Uh, was it his sister was taken and they could never find her body and the her estranged husband or boyfriend never told him where she was? Uh, I think it was her boyfriend's ex-girlfriend that did it and she wouldn't tell him. But yeah, yeah, it's just... Oh, man. And then you, like, and even just like, yeah, Jake Roberts just saying flat out to the camera, yeah, my mother was 13 years old when she had me. And my father was dating her mother. I was a child of rape, basically. Like, it was just so just sad. It was just... How, like, and you just got to think of Jake's mother, like, only 13 when Jake was born. It's just such a sad, sad thing. It's just, like, for him to be in the place that he is in at the moment in 2021 
like, good for him, man. For him to, you know, still be relevant on network TV to an extent. We haven't seen him in a week or so. But <laughs> they were on Dark recently. Ah, oh, there you go. Well, he's still right. Yeah, he's still a regular recurring character on a television show in 2021. He's, I assume he's pretty clean at the moment, you know. Relapses do happen. I have heard of that happening in recent years with him, but he always seems to bounce back. And, like, this dude had such a rough life from literally the day he was conceived. And for him to be in a happy place right now, that's why you need to watch the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts after watching Beyond the Mat, because you need that happy resolution to this Jake story arc, because this is just so depressing. Yeah, it's... It's so sad. Yeah, yeah, and then... You get to see a scene of him just like, you know, doing some yard work with his father and they just don't say a word to each other the whole time. And Jake just pretty much admits that the only reason he ever became a wrestler was so he could throw it back in his dad's face. Just so yeah. he could be like, I'm, I'm a wrestler and I'm ten times more successful than you ever were. And I don't even care about this. It's like, oh, man. Like, and Dark Side of the Rings, season three. We're getting the story of the Grizzly Smith, Jake Roberts family. Oh, are we? Yes, we're getting uh, Jake Roberts. We're getting Grizzly Smith. We're getting Jake's uh, half-brother. Sam Houston, who had a run in then WA in the 80s. We're getting Rockin' Robin, who's also like a half-sibling to yeah. Jake Roberts. Yeah, that's the one I know about. So um, who's, who's his, uh, his family again, I guess? Yeah, it's Sam Houston, Rockin' Robin, and then his dad's Grizzly Smith. So, um... From what I understand, I could be wrong, but I think all three of them have different mothers. Yeah. I think this is like a natural real-life version of the kayfabe reason as to what the du- the Dudleys was based on. <laughs> like how the Dudleys were like, oh, yeah, there's this Dudley and that Dudley and that Dudley. That's because Papa Dudley used to go from territory to territory and so is Seed. Um, Isn't the Dudleys based off... Um, oh, Snapshot. No, um, who's in the Hall of Fame with the last name Dudley? Oh, I think they just chose the name, but it's not really based off him. It's um, Vince's limo driver. Vince's dad's limo driver is in the Hall of Fame. That's They say he was like a backstage personnel, but he was basically just Vince's dad's limo driver, and they put him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. James so... Dudley, yeah. That's him, yeah. So um, announced for season three is Brian Pillman, Collision in Korea. Oh, that'd be huge. <laughs> that, that's massive. Like, that's that thing's crazy. They had, like, 
I can't remember. I think it was like 300,000 people or something in okay. North Korea. And Muhammad Ali was there too. <laughs> Just like the insanest like sounding card. 355,000 been... over two days. Yeah. Just nuts. And I've wanted, I've seen like little clips of matches here and there, but I, I just want to see the full show. Oh, you've never watched it? No, nah, because it's not on the network. It's on New Japan Network. Is it? I'm not here. I'll log into my New Japan now, but I'm 90% sure it's on there because it's a um, New Japan WCW co promoted show. Oh, man, is that where all the New Japan WCW shows are? Oh, Most man. of them, yeah. Yeah, this... Um, how do I bring this up again? It is... Um... Let's oh, go God. here. Is Anyhow. The worst, the worst site to navigate. Oh. Or is it? Yeah. Why, why is there impact on here? Forbidden door, man. Swung wide open. Uh, oh, sh- Anyhow, um, what were we saying? Collision in Korea. Um, I'll list off the others here before yeah. I pull that up. Mick Gage, the Ultimate yeah. Warrior, Grizzly Smith, yeah. Dynamite Kid, the WWF Steroid Trials, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, Luna Vachon, the Plane Rock from Hell, XPW, Johnny K9, Bruiser Bedlam, and Chris Canyon. Um, dare oh, I ask man. on air what Canyon is? Uh, suicide. Um, oh, okay. I just wasn't sure if it was um something darker. Yeah, because um. Of his homosexuality and yeah. him having to keep it a secret from the business, even though, like, in hindsight, everyone comes out and says, Oh, we all knew he was gay and no one cared. Was so yeah. the other one who's sort of um, well known for that, uh, being out, would Patterson have been out at the time? Patterson never officially came out, like. Everyone knew, like I knew, like yeah. I I knew from the bloody moment that him and Jerry Briscoe beat the Main Street Posse because Jr. let the entire world know. Remember that iconic match that like somehow got one of the highest ratings of all time. Um, you do remember that match, right? Yeah, probably like, would if I saw it. Like where. The Stooges come out to Hulk Hogan's Real American and, you know, yeah. Pat Patterson's he wearing... He shirt and it's first IC champ. Yeah, 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 that whole match. At the end of the match, like, Patterson and Briscoe win. And I specifically remember questioning this as a kid. JR says over commentary, and his single, fellas... Okay. And and Pat Patterson never officially like said outright that he was gay until Legends House, which got released in 2014. 
the first year of the WWE Network. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, so looking on New Japan World, I might have to just type in, there is two matches that come up. Uh, yeah. Boom, Makan, uh, Nakano versus Hikoito. And Antonio Noki versus Ric Flair. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've seen the Inoki versus Flair match before, but I, I want to see the rest of that bloody card. Should we talk about Beyond the Mat? <laughs> uh, in a minute. I'm trying right. to find this pay per view for you. Oh. <laughs> Probably not going to want to watch that. Oh, there you are. Are you serious, Vimeo? Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, 15. Yeah, it looks... Oh, there's a lot there. Anyhow, Collision Collier. Sounds fun. Um, Oh, man. Oh, we got sidetracked because of Jake. Um. I'm pretty sure you're looking forward to whatever the Nick Gage episode's going to be. I'm so keen on that. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, they they released a trailer for it. It's just so crazy. It's just John Moxley talking about this one match he had with Nick Gage where Nick Gage pretty much took a pizza cutter and uh, sliced yeah, it across that. his mouth. Yeah. He's going, it's- my tongue. Where's, where's her tongue? Oh, my tongue's still there. Good, let's fight. Yeah, yeah. And the craziest thing is, he had such a horrible experience with Nick Gage all those years ago. He just set up another feud of him versus Nick Gage, so he must love it. Yeah. Um, The... Luna Vachon's an interesting one. I don't know too much about that. Uh, Plane Ride from Hell? Oh, man. Um, some of the stories get a bit mixed up, like, so it'll be good to be, like, have a decisive answer on what exactly took place on this plane ride, because, like, there's been people that have said, like, there was that incident where Kurt Angle and Vince McMahon had an amateur wrestling fight on a plane, and many people have said that happened on the plane ride from hell. But then Kurt Angle's like, no, this happened after the plane ride from hell. So it'll be good to get some, like, decisiveness on when this happened. But, yeah, other crazy stuff happened, like Michael Hayes getting his ponytail cut off by X-Pac. My boy. Yeah, Mr. Perfect and Brock Lesnar possibly having a fight in the aisle way. The bangs into the door and they thought the door was going to open. Yeah. Um, oh, there's just other stuff like, yeah, just people just passed out and craziness. X-Pac probably just running around, like, shaving people's eyebrows off, knowing him. Uh, Didn't he get his eyebrows shaved off before his first figure came out? Yeah. Uh, quickly go on to your Google. Yeah. Search up WWF Hasbro. H-A-S-B-R-O, one, two, three, kid. Uh, type M-O-C after that. 
and then images. <laughs> yeah. I've recently just sold one for like a couple of grand. Like literally these things are so like hard to find and expensive. And you have a look at the bloody picture on the card. <laughs> and Paul Waltman uh, doesn't have any eyebrows on because of good old Mr. Perfect. <laughs> I thought you would appreciate that. Uh, I've seen it before. Uh, it's, it's just so, so good. It's so funny. Yeah, because uh, the story is that Mr. Perfect shaved off just one of Sean Waltman's eyebrows. So Sean had to make the decision do I walk around with one or do I have to shave off my own other eyebrow? Like, that's the cruelest <laughs> part about it is that he only did the one. <laughs> oh, what a bastard. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Um, Perfect, the king of ribs. Him and Owen Hart, anyway. Yeah, Owen. Um, yeah. I think... Oh, we've both listened to that post-wrestling, um, John's audio documentary on the... Um, the final days of Owen Hart. Yeah. That is really good. I think, personally, that is a lot better than the Dark Side of the Ring episode. The only advantage the Dark Side of the Ring has is that um, Martha Hart and the Hart family speak on that one. Yeah, like, that was huge. Like, Martha Hart just never spoke. Never really heard from her. I think she did release a book or something, but you didn't get too much from her. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm morbidly excited for Dark Side of the Ring season three. The Pillman thing's going to be huge. Do I'm they have Austin talking on Pillman? Yes. Yes. And uh, we all, all know, we all remember Stone Cold Steve Austin, like in the peak of his career with that gold chain around his neck. The. What people might not know is that that gold chain was given to him by Brian Pillman as a present for like, oh yeah, I got us some matching gold chains for when we're the Hollywood blondes. And yeah, after Pillman died, like Austin wore it all the time for promos and photo shoots and stuff like that during the Attitude Era. Really? Yeah, yeah. Austin. Oh, like wow. even uh, I'm I've got a stone cold figure right in front of me here, and he's wearing a gold chain. Like yeah. even there yeah. it is. There. Yeah. Um, where now Pillman passes away late '97. Yeah, I think it's like September, October, roughly yeah. around there. So second half of the year. Um, Austin probably hasn't had the title by this point. Would he no. have had the uh, he would have won King of the Ring at this point. Yeah, so this is after the Bret Hart WrestleMania 13 match. So we're about a year and a bit after the King of the Ring when uh, Pillman passes away not long after Stone Cold broke his neck against Owen Hart. Were they ever going to reform Hollywood Blondes or um, spin off into like a big rivalry? I think, like, they were definitely teasing, because I've said before, 97's one of my favourite years. I've rewatched it a lot. 
They were definitely teasing a Pillman-Austin rivalry that they just never got to fully do. So I mm. think that would have happened at some point. I think I could have seen that happening at Survivor Series 97 because you had Bret Hart versus Austin at WrestleMania, Owen Hart versus Austin at SummerSlam. Say Austin's neck doesn't get hurt. Pillman doesn't pass away. Pillman at Survivor Series would have been the logical next step. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes makes great sense. Um, I suppose from there we should go back to a... <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is the greatest tangent we've ever gone on. Yeah. <laughs> all, all just because we don't want to talk about how depressing this Jake Roberts thing is. Yeah. Go watch Resurrection of J- Snake Roberts with uh, Dom Dallas Page. It's it's good. Mm. Um, but from there, I suppose we should talk about somebody who's been wrestling forever. How long? Forever. How long? Forever. 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 So, <laughs> firstly, that promo isn't about him retiring. It's just him in Japan talking up the fans, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's just about him. It was like him, like, t- after a big win, saying he's going to be the champion forever and he wants to come back forever or something like that. Yeah, so iconic. Once I have to say iconic for almost every scene in this bloody movie, but that was my first exposure to the infamous Terry Funk forever promo, Beyond the Mat. Iconic. Yep. Oh, can't do that anymore. No, oh, iconic duo. Uh, but, yeah. Um, this funk thing, like it starts showing like all different classic uh, footage of him and then it's him waking up <laughs> in his bed struggling to put on his tights. This is like the Terry Funk arc is like so wonderfully shot and edited. Like, yeah, we see, like, Terry Funk in, like, classic matches and then, like, him, like, struggling to get out of bed in the morning. Then we see, like, Terry Funk, like, bloody in a death match and then they cut to him, like, doing some Chevrolet commercial <laughs> for his <laughs> local, like, car dealership. Just, like, intersplicing, like, this absolute madman in the ring with this just normal, everyday, like, lovable grandpa outside of the ring. Yeah. <laughs> so they talk up um, him going to um, ECW for the first um, the first ECW pay-per-view. And we've talked about this before when we did the ECW review last year, the... Um, I suppose the infamous footage of um, Paul Heyman's This Is the Dance speech backstage. Yeah, yeah, this is this is where it all got exposed to me. Um, this is the... I'm fairly positive Beyond the Mat was my first exposure to ECW. Yeah, and I, yeah um, it probably would have been. Yeah, because uh, it's not like we got ECW TV over here or anything like that. Would have been cool, but we didn't. Um, oh, not until 
<laughs> yeah, Jesus, two thousand six. Yeah. Uh, oh God. Anyway, um, we get this classic like they said we couldn't do it, but we get to say "f you." We're right. F do it properly. You... All right. Fuck you. We're right. <laughs> Fuck you. You're wrong. And this is the dance. And believe me. When I say this is the dance, yeah, it's just such a classic speech. He's on this stairway and like they like pan across and we see the entire ECW locker room there. And you know, you some young Dudleys. Tires! Um, Blue Meanie. Blue Meanie. Front yeah. and center. <laughs> yeah, Blue Meanie's front and center, just like so hyped up. It's like. He's getting ready to go out there and have a five-star match like Blue Meanie is. Like, he's so fired up. And then he's probably just going to get told, oh, you just have to go out there and dance a little bit and then leave. <laughs> but um, Paul's speech, man, it was just crazy. It was so cool. And then we get to have a look at, like, Paul Heyman, like... <laughs> directing promos at his mum's house whilst she she's ironing while some wrestlers are cutting like promos about how they want to murder each other and Paul Hamer's just sitting there the other side of the camera next to his mum ironing it's just oh man it's not quite Titan Towers that's for sure yeah but um much like Paul said uh during the oh what was it ECW exposed uh, special they did on the network a number of years ago now when Joey Styles was still there. Uh, creative differences. <laughs> yes. But um, they said, uh, like, we didn't have this million-dollar budget, so why were we going to go and hire a out of studio and why would we try to do all these things, like, and then you look at people today, and this was before the pandemic. They're saying, oh, "Where does Jay Z and Beyonce record their music?" And Joey Styles is like, "Oh, they do it at home." And so is Eminem and uh, someone else. And they're like, "Well, they do it all from home. We we're just ahead of the curve." Yeah, exactly. And exactly. it's that that old Paul Heyman mentality of um, accentuating the positives and hiding the negatives. Yeah. Why hire out a studio when we don't have a budget? Let's just do it from home. Yeah. And watching back those old ECW uh, videos and matches, you can't tell, like, other than, of course, it being on the network now and the um, copyright music overplayed, you can't really tell a big difference in the, um, in the uh, quality compared to someone else. Like, yes, there's going to be a big difference between them and a... Um, WCW with Turner money or WWF with McMahon money, but them to say uh, like a Ring of Honor for a lot of Ring of Honor years or a TNA for a good yeah. stretch there of Anthem. Yeah. They're, they were still a really good quality, especially for the size of the promotion it was. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so Paul's sort of cutting promos in his house. There's Tommy Dreamer there. He's yep. cutting a promo, like, doing the voiceover for the pay-per-view ad, and he runs out of time and he goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Oh man. Um Yeah, yeah, this is just so cool. Like, yeah, this is my first exposure to ECW, so I just thought this was just like really endearing. I wanted to find it as a kid. Eventually finally got a DVD one year. It's a living dangerously one. Um, what did um Mother Fruitbox say about ECW? Uh I think um I I think I brought her into the because when I got it, that was at the point that I finally had my own DVD player and my own TV. So I was watching DVDs and stuff in my bedroom. But I was like, "Mum, come have a look at this." <laughs> She's like, "No, you can't watch this." I was like, "Mum, I'm not going to run around and like hit people with a cheese grater. It's fine." Little did she know. <laughs> Little did she know I became Australian New Jack. Um, uh, oh, my God. New Jack's in this. Yes. I was yes. getting there. Yes. Um, now. A guy that might not ever be Denzel, but he could easily be Denzel's friend. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say that to the man. <laughs> no, no, but that's um, this really intriguing scene of New Jack going to a Hollywood audition and the people just like being like, yeah, I can't really see him as Denzel, but he would be Denzel's friend <laughs> in a movie. It's oh, like, man. okay, yep, you're, yep. Uh, tuck your chin on the next bump, brother. <laughs> so, when the first um, ECW pay per view is it living dangerously or is that just Bare- a special? Uh, barely legal, nineteen ninety seven. Ninety seven. So, how far away are we from mass transit? Um, off the top of your head, or should I look? Mass transit, I think, had already happened. Yeah, it was no. It was November nineteen ninety six, which the pay per view was meant to happen around November ninety six, but then oh, the mass tra- right. the mass transit incident took place, so their pay per view got cancelled, and then they finally were able to get barely legal to happen in early ninety seven. Yeah, now I remember. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, yeah, so, oh, yeah, all right, let's talk about Barely Legal. Yeah? Uh, Let's have a quick rundown of some of this match card here. Okay. In particular, like, you get the Eliminators, Perry Sadden and Cronus against the Dudley Boys, which is... An awesome opener. He had two dark matches before that. What were the dark matches that are probably not on tape anywhere? Uh, Chris Chetty and JT Smith defeated the full-blooded Italians, Lil Guido and Tommy Rich. And you had Louis Spicoli defeat Bowles Mahoney. Who's Louis Spicoli? So he had a quick run in WWF as Rad Radford. A completely just 
throwaway gimmick that not too long, around the time of Bailey Legal, he gets a contract with WCW because he's really close friends with Scott Hall. And he starts to become, he starts to help Scott Hall win matches. This is during Scott Hall's feud with Larry Zabisco. And what was sort of set up was that Louis Spicoli was going to be a part of the Wolf Pack with Scott Hall and Nash and all that. But unfortunately, Louis Spicoli passed away like a month after he joined WCW. But they had big plans for him, apparently, just because Scott Hall and Kevin Nash always looked after their buddies. Oh, wow. Yeah. What did he pass away from, do you know? Uh, substance abuse. Oh, okay. Yeah. The 90s, man. And he was fresh off the ECW roster in the 90s. <laughs> Happened to a lot of them, unfortunately. Yeah, 27 years old. Wow. Um... Had a great gimmick in Mexico called Madonna's Boyfriend. <laughs> I don't get it, but there was a... But he was a wrestler called Madonna's Boyfriend. I love it. Uh, also on that barely legal card was Rob Van Dam and Lance Storm, which I'm sure was a barn burner. Here's an interesting one. The Great Sasuke, Grand Hamada, and Masato Yakushiji defeated BWO Japan. Terry Boy. Tucker Michinoku. Tucker. And, and dick to go. <laughs> this is before they get drafted as um, Kaintai. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Crazy. Uh, Shane Douglas versus Pitbull. Taz versus Sabu, which I've watched that match. That is, should have been the main event. Who is Terry Boy? I have no idea. Men's Tao. Oh, yeah, that is the original Kaintai. Tucker Michinoku, Men's Tao, and Dick to Go. I need to stop calling him that. <laughs> hey. Dick Togo. I need to stop calling him Dick to Go. I don't know. We haven't watched New Japan for a while. Maybe it still is. Yeah, that's true. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I think you're up to, did you say Shane? Shane beat the Pitbull. Taz beat Sabu. That was a year-long feud. Terry Funk defeated the Sandman. And Stevie Richards with the Blue Meanie, Hollywood Nova. Whatever a Thomas Rodman and 7-Eleven. Oh, 7-11. Oh, that's right. So Thomas Rodman was obviously a Dennis Rodman spinoff. Yep. Boof. And 7-Eleven was a spinoff of six. Yep. Yeah, I was trying. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, yeah, it was. And then in the main event, Terry Funk defeated Raven for the ECW title. If anyone out there hasn't watched that pay per view, watch it. It is sensational, top to bottom. It yeah. is just incredible. Um, I love that Funk's got to go through this freeway dance. And then face Raven, who's fresh for the championship afterwards. It's such a good gimmick. Yeah, something I've definitely got in my um, got up my sleeve for future Fogs episodes. <laughs> Ooh, yes, 
yeah, keep that trick up the playbook there. Um, but let's carry on with the Terry Funk portion of this documentary. Terry Funk, after barely legal as ECW champion, he's going to retire. Oh, no. Says so this time it's for good. This time it's for good. And we get interviews with another wrestler from Amarillo, Texas. Dory. And not Dory. <laughs> it is a man named Dennis Stamp, who is adamant. Like, Terry Funk is adamant, please come to my show. And Dennis is like, I'm not booked, Terry. I'm not booked. I'm not going to come. I don't want to be one of those old guys that hangs around. Uh, <laughs> Terry's like, it's my life. It's my last one. Just come. Come on. Just come to my show. It's the last one. I'm not wrestling again. Come on. And then... um. We get a little clip of Dennis Stamp showing us how, oh, I haven't been booked in like 10 years, but uh, I still got to stay ready just in case I get the call. And he's got these little weights and he's on this trampoline just jumping up and down. And he just goes, I can't I can't do any tricks, but I just jump. It's just so iconic. Uh, there's that word again. But it really is. It really is. I remember, like, when Zach Ryder started making it big with his YouTube show, one of the first episodes I saw was him doing a spoof because he didn't get booked for WrestleMania that year. So he was like, I'm not booked, Terry. And then they cut to Zach Ryder just doing, like, jumps on a trampoline in his hotel room at WrestleMania. Hilarious. Um, anyway... Eventually, Terry Funk convinces Dennis Stamp that he can he can referee the main event at his retirement show. Uh, Dennis, before that, says, uh, man, who's that guy that got wrestling Dory Funk? Like, I could get a much better match out of him. But eventually, Dennis gets his way and he gets to referee... Terry Funk's retirement match so uh, now that I've left you with a little cliffhanger of that guy that wrestled Dory Funk at Terry Funk's retirement show let's do a quick little rundown of the card again Wing Wing Kanemura whoever that is, no offence, don't know defeated Roadkill Taz defeated Chris Candido. It's Taz. Shark Suchia defeated Lady Cougar. So we got a women's match. The Youngbloods, Chris Youngblood and Mark Youngblood with Ricky Romero, not Rocky, Ricky, <laughs> defeated the Bushwhackers. Any relation there to a Richie or a Richard in the Youngbloods? Uh, no, no. You know uh, the reference I'm making? Are you m- making a Ricky Steamboat re- reference? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure his name is R- Richard Blood. Oh. 
Yeah, so his like name is Dick Blood. <laughs> See you later, humans. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, Balls Mahoney with the Sam. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, what a segue. Balls Mahoney with the Sandman defeated Bubba Ray Dudley. Shane Douglas with Francine defeated Tommy Dreamer. This is all relatively normal. I'm going to skip this De- Dory Funk match because I'm going to leave you in suspense as to who Dennis Stamp thinks he can have a better match than. <laughs> so funny. Mankind defeated Sabu. Here's a crazy, here's a crazy one. Hakushi, Hayabusa, and Masato Tanaka defeated the head- Headhunters. Headhunter A... And Headhunter B with, uh, I think it was Victor Canones, who was involved in the Bruiser Brody thing, and Jake Roberts. So Jake Roberts was at this show, but the Beyond the Mat crew never filmed him at this show, which is crazy. Um, so they had the guys involved, allegedly, in the, uh, the Brody uh, yeah. murder. Victor Canones Can- wasn't the guy that did it, but was reportedly one of the guys that helped cover Allegedly. It Allegedly helped cover it up. I don't nah. know. Uh, go on. Um, then we'll get to, to the main event, which is Bret Hart defeating Terry Funk. We saw that. So let's talk about who Dennis Stamp thinks he can have a better match with Dory Funk then. Any guesses? Uh, can I have a clue what federation they're from at the time? ECW. <laughs> uh, if I say someone you've already named, just give me another chance. Is it Raven? I have not named him, and no. <laughs> okay, go on. Uh, Dennis Stamp thinks he could have had a better match than Dory Funk Jr., who defeated... Someone the Dennis Stamp thinks he's a better wrestler than Rob Van Dam. <laughs> what? Rob Van Dam in 1997, arguably the best wrestler in the world. Before his injuries. Yeah. Like, this is when he's doing the, like, crazy dives into the 12th row. Like, uh... this is absolute insanity rub van dam and dennis steps like i could have a better match with dory funk than him <laughs> so that's what i thought was like i was like oh yeah watching that i was like oh who's dennis stamp talking about so i did the google search i was like you're kidding me <laughs> so i think after all these years we need a dennis stamp versus rvd match is Dennis Stamp still alive? He is. He is. I'm positive he is. <laughs> uh, no, he is not. What? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, bugger. Oh, man, I had no idea he passed away. That's huge. Yeah. That's sad. But... Yeah, I do remember um, him having a few appearances on uh, $5 Wrestling back in the day. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. That was just like this deliberately bad wrestling promotion 
commentated by comedian Marty DeRosa and Colt Cabana. Uh, Oh, that's really cool. Stamp was posthumously inducted into the Amarillo Pioneer Hall of Fame by the Amarillo Pioneer newspaper. So that's cool. Um, Oh, man, that's really sad about Dennis Stamp. But hang on, what does that say about Sylvester Stallone? Go up. Um, yeah, Stamp appeared with several other professional wrestlers, including Ted DiBiase, Bob Roop, Dick Murdoch, Gene Kaniski, Tonga Fafita in the 1978 Sylvester Stallone movie Paradise Alley. All right. No, we're not watching that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we probably will at one stage now. (laughs) Yeah, give it a year. Um... Got to have a good amount of time between Sylvester Stallone films and wrestling films, for that matter. Um, Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Dennis Stamp was so funny in this. I loved that conversation with Dennis and Terry Funk. And, like, yeah, Terry Funk begging Dennis to show up. And as Terry Funk's walking away, he, like, accidentally steps in a pothole. Yeah, it's so just it's just so adorable. Like Terry Funk's just like an adorable old man in this movie. Oh, please, Dennis, you gotta come. You gotta come. I it's want my you last there. one. I want you. It's my last match. It's my last one. It's my last match. I won't be back. No. And then, like, pretty much the end of this movie says, "Yeah, uh, Terry Funk wrestled again." Three months later. <laughs> um, do you, you want to know the actual truth? <laughs> Go on. If you've already pulled it up, you can. Terry Funk broke his retirement 11 days later. <laughs> on September 22nd, 1997, wrestling in FMW in Japan. <laughs> uh, it's a different territory, brother. <laughs> it's a different country. It doesn't count. I'm retired. It's the last one in America. It's the last one in America. (laughs) For three months. Anyway, the craziest part about this is that this retirement show happened before his WWF run. (laughs) I was just about to mention that because when they start showing uh, Mick Foley stuff, they do show a bit of Chainsaw Charlie. Yes, which happens in January of 1998. Um, and the Terry Funk retirement show is September 1997. So I guess that's where the three months is. I guess three months in America. Now, do you know when Terry Funk's last documented match happened via cage match? I know. I'm pretty sure it was against Jerry Lawler. Do you know the year? I think it was like... 2015 or something. Because I was looking it up last night. You were close in the year. It was 2017. The 23rd of September. The Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson with Terry Funk defeated the team of Brian Christopher, Doug Gilbert and Jerry Lawler. Oh, my God. Doug Gilbert was on the same team as Jerry Lawler? Yeah. Why does that matter? 
Have you ever seen that Doug Gilbert promo where uh, he accu- it's from the mid nineties and he says, Jerry Lawler, you raped a little girl. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that guy. Oh. And all the all these years later he's teaming with Jerry Lawler. I guess Jerry Lawler's a very forgiving man. Yeah. Uh you were right about his last match in twenty 20- 15 it was a uh, match against Jerry Lawler okay I had no idea he had two more matches after that it's my last one in North Carolina it's my last one in South Carolina yeah wow okay so it was the his last two matches were the exact same match yeah yeah I'll just run in a loop brother what was his last match in Japan Masakatsu Funaki, Mil Mascaris, and Terry Funk defeat Kaz Hayashi, Nosawa, and Yoshiaki Fujiwara? What? <laughs> what universe is this? This apparently is Tokyo... Garentai, Tokyo Dream. Apparently okay. it was taped for TV. What is that? <laughs> oh, man. I love seeing, like old-time wrestlers, like, last few matches. Like, there's always something really weird in there. Yeah, have a look at that! <laughs> Jason <laughs> Juggler. What is that? <laughs> oh, what's that one? Dory Funk and Terry Funk to a 20-minute 20, 20 ta- time limit draw in 2013? No. You think that's weird? Have a look at this. Uh, it is... 1208-2011. That is Juggalo Championship Wrestling Legends and Icons pay-per-view. Cowboy Bob Orton and Roddy Piper defeat Mick Foley and Terry Funk in four minutes and 14 seconds. And I'm sure that was the most expensive four minutes and 14 seconds anyone's ever had to pay for. In terms of promoters. <laughs> that is so weird. That is not the first thing I think of when I think of Juggalo Championship <laughs> Wrestling Legends and Icons. Can you uh, click on that event? Because if that's one of the matches, we've got to see what else is on there. This is the most tangent show of all time, but bugger it. Yeah, we had a couple of beers. Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Craig <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Oh, I've got to see and if I can Tino find Santana this. in a steel cage match. A three minute and 43 <laughs> second steel cage match. It takes less, it takes more time to set up the cage than to have the match. Oh, oh my god, look at that battle royal. Uh, oh my god. Zach going. Brutus Beefcake, Carlito, Disco Inferno, Doink the Clown, Headbanger Mosh, Headbanger Frash, Jim Duggan, Jimmy Snooker, Rikishi, Rob Conway, Ronnie Garvin, Tony Atlas, Eugene, and Viscera. Do you remember? Do you know who Zach Gowan is? Is it the guy with one leg? Yeah. <laughs> that On is Smackdown? The, yeah, that is the craziest gimmick battle royal I've ever heard of. That craps all over, like, WrestleMania 17's gimmick battle royal where Iron Sheik won because he couldn't legally take a bump. Sheiky baby, number one. 
Chica baby. Um, oh my. Oh, the rock and rolls versus the midnights. 33 <laughs> seconds. Oh, Jim Cornette would have hated that this match happened at the Juggalos because he's trashed the Juggalos before. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing against the Juggalos. No, I don't hate them either. If they're going to put on cards like this, I'm all for it. <laughs> oh, my God, that Battle Royal went for 30 minutes almost. <laughs> what oh. about the second way match of Rhino, Tuchel, oh. Scorpio, El Snow, Boss Mahoney, Raven, Sabu, and Shane Douglas. Look at these match times. Three minutes and 46 seconds. This uh, is a pay-per-view, apparently. And you're getting, like, outside of the Battle Royal, that's the long, the longest match. Oh, no. The, yeah, it is. Yeah. Like three seconds. <laughs> three seconds. Uh, the next match, Bob Backlund oh, defeats Ken Patera. Yeah, um, Ken Patera. Let me just quickly Google search this because I think, yeah, he was like a strong man wrestler from the early eighties, mid eighties. Um, yeah, he's not the guy I was thinking of, so don't worry. But he was like an Olympic weightlifter and stuff like that. Yeah, um, that's ridiculous. Six minutes twelve seconds. Iron Man. <laughs> what about five-way match? Austin Idol, Brickhouse Brown, Doug Gilbert, Dutch Mantel, and Coco Beware. Two minutes, 42 seconds. And this was 2011, so this is like Dutch Mantel yeah. in about a year's time is going to debut with Jack Swagger and do yeah. the We the People gimmick. <laughs> so that's the shape he was in, people. For this match, um, a singles match of Tracy oh. Smothers with Isabel Smothers defeats Tommy Rich. Thirty-six seconds. Nothing besides the Battle Royal. Nothing has hit like seven minutes yet. What about a tag team match? Oh my with god! Guest referee Vampiro, Kevin Nash, and X Pac with Scott Hall versus. The new age outlaws, Billy Gunn and Road Dog. 6.27. Oh, my God. I think this is the match I recently... I've been watching a heap of Kevin Nash shoot interviews on YouTube because they're just hilarious. He talked about uh, teaming up with X-Pac for the, for the Juggalos and X-Pac got in the ring and it was... And this show took place, like, well after midnight. And everyone's just like phoning it in hard. And X-Pac comes out there and he's taking bumps all over the place. He's trying his hardest to get the match over. And Kevin Nash like pulls X-Pac into the corner and says, we already got their money, brother. Just chill out. <laughs> it's two in the bloody morning. Like, chill. Uh, man, the next match of a tag team match. Cowboy Bob Orton and Roddy Piper versus Mick Foley and Terry Funk 4-14. Yeah, wow. Still haven't had a seven-minute match yet. And that's the end. Yeah, wow. Wow. How long does this pay-per-view run for? Uh, <laughs> like an hour? <laughs> let's have a look whilst we're here, if I can bring it up on the old uh, searchy search. 2011. 
Yeah, well, this this show's gone off the rails tonight. Yeah, beer is good. Yeah, what is it, Gordon Gecko? Greed is good. <laughs> uh, apparently, this goes for if that's the right show. Oh, there it is. Uh, two and a half hours. How? How? I guess some some of these guys might take their time getting to the ring. Yeah. Anyway, oh, that's Terry Funk's retirement. <laughs> what about his last New Japan match before we move on? Oh, yeah, we recently talked about that. Did we? Yeah, that was that Wrestle Kingdom show that, that uh, we reviewed. Oh, it was too. Where Abdullah the Butcher wouldn't, couldn't like do anything where he's not holding the ropes or else he'd fall <laughs> over. Yeah, so can you read out the team here? Yeah, Manabu Nakanishi, Masahiro Chono, Ricky Choshu, and Terry Funk defeat Abdullah the Butcher and Chaos, Takashi Izuka, Tomohiro Ishii, and Toru Yano. Yeah, dumb show. Man, Funk loves working Lawler, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, uh, fair enough. Oh, they had that bloody concession stand brawl. When? In, just in for the, the like, 70s. Just for the sake of um, timeline here, that 2017 match, when was Lawler's heart attack? Because it was before that. Yeah, that was like 20... So, 2012, I think. 2012 or 2013. I don't know why I didn't do this first, but yeah. Because uh, that's his last actual match in yeah. WWF. Yeah. Holy he, crap, he's he, had a lot he, of matches since then. He wrestles, like, fairly consistently still. He wrestled at the start of this year. Yeah. That man, I don't think, should be wrestling. No. But also, he doesn't really do much in his matches. <laughs> uh, yeah, there it is there. 2012. So, yeah, you're, you're right there. Yeah. And he goes... So... <sighs> oh, that is... That is a bit, yeah, crazy. I didn't think he'd uh, keep going. Oh, my God. George, he had a match against Alex Re- Reynolds and, oh, my God, Mark yeah. Sterling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. He had a match against Mance Warner. I don't know who that is. Is that good? Uh, it's a deathmatch guy. Okay. It's a GCW show. Oh, my God, that's so funny. <laughs> It is. It'd be like finding out Jerry Lawler's had a match against Nick Gage, which he probably has. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, but anyway, beyond the mat, this is the most chaotic episode we've ever recorded. Yeah. Um, um, Terry Funk's retirement. Yeah, pretty much says this is my last match, and it's not. No, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, he, he wrestles eleven days later, according to uh, Wikipedia. Um, so let's now move on to one final lovely piece, Mick Foley. Yeah. Would, would you agree with me in saying 
favorite wrestler at this time? <laughs> One of, yeah. Yeah, I would say oh. Mick Mick Foley was the top guy for me in nineteen ninety nine. Rocks Hill. Austin would be Face. Hill. Uh, so Face. if this is nineteen ninety if this releases in October nineteen ninety nine, as it says, the Rock has just started his babyface run. Austin has been hit with a car or is about to get hit with a car. And Triple H is having his first reign of terror. Terror rising. Exactly. And Mick Foley has had a couple of title runs. Uh, Mick Foley won the title at SummerSlam 1999 in a triple threat against Austin and Triple H which is reportedly because Austin didn't think Triple H was ready to beat Austin yet. So they put Mick Foley in the match, and Austin said he's happy to lose the title to Foley. And then the very next night, Foley lost it to Triple H. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, one of the unspoken things about how Austin was just as bad as Hogan at one point in his career. That doesn't work for me, brother. Hell yeah. Um, I suppose you can touch on the uh, the brief cameos if you like here. Yeah, we get um, Stone Cold just being cute to Mick Foley's kids here. Like, just saying, oh yeah, we'll catch up. Catch up after the show. My, my little one's out there too. And then uh, Rock just like, I think tinfoil hat on here. At one point, Mick Foley talks about how he wanted to murder The Rock because of The Rock taking a few liberties with some extra chair shots. So I think The Rock was so overly nice to Mick's kids here before that match, and it was because he knew what he was about to do to Mick Foley. He knew he was going to hit Mick Foley with the chair more times than Mick had expected. So he's like, oh, I'll be nice to his family at least. <laughs> Out of yeah. guilt. That's the, um, what I think. Watching that back in hindsight, especially the um, the footage of his young daughter and his son and his wife, like they're only two or three seats from the actual ringside seats and they're screaming and covering their eyes, not wanting to watch this because Mick's got his hands handcuffed behind his back and these are unprotected chair shots it's like six or seven total yeah it's not nice to watch yeah yeah it's not great yeah um but i suppose the overriding thing here is like he's talking about his time he spent in um ECW is sort of a hardcore wrestler, how he came to WWF, and he's got this new character, and this is what he does. And you sort of see uh, Socko sort of um, come about as well. Yeah. Wait, was this Socko at this time? He had Socko at this time, yeah. Socko happens in... Oh, around Hell in the Cell 98 time. Yeah, they show that as well. 
King yeah. of the Ring. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I suppose after watching the Dark Side of the Ring, the Owen Hart one, I got a lot of um sort of Owen Hart vibes to this. Mick was someone who wanted to get into wrestling and make his money to set his family up for a better life. Yeah. You got the same sort of um the same sort of vibes there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um it was interesting to hear like Mick at this point is like openly talking about walking away from the business. Um this is something I was gonna do earlier, but you carry on. Yeah, it is it is sort of um weird, like they're talk they're showing the um the footage of um Mick uh on the hell in the cell and they're um he's like saying to his kids, Oh yeah, I practice that um all day uh blah 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 dad knows how to do this and like in reality he wasn't prepared for the um the roof of the cage to split and when he took the choke slam for him to fall down onto the mat. No. No, and I I just did my research and I don't think it's touched on enough. Mick Foley, how old he was when this happened. Got a guess? Uh thirty-five. So he was thirty-three during that Hell in a Cell match. He retires at the age of thirty-four. The first time. The first time, yeah. That's sort of his proper retirement because he sort of just comes back sparingly after that, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's not like ever a full-time wrestler again. Um. Yeah, so he was like 34. That's the craziest part about it is he was so young. Well, how old's, I guess, Drew or Bobby Lashley right now? Uh, Bobby Lashley's like mid forties. Uh, I think Bobby Lashley is one of those dudes that's like surprisingly old. Let me hit hit up the Google machine. Bobby Lashley is forty four years old. Wow. What about Drew? I think he's a bit younger. Drew McIntyre is thirty five, so he's still a yeah. year older than he's still a year older than Mick Foley's. Red- Original retirement age. Um, yeah, that's absolutely insane. Like, Mick Foley's only a few years older than Chris Jericho. Yeah, wow. Chris Jericho is like 50 something. Yeah, 50. Yeah, he's 50 exactly. So, yeah. Like, it's just crazy to think that Mick Foley's career ended full-time 21 years ago like all that time ago and he's still only 55 yeah it is it is very very weird um but i suppose it sort of um led him into the commissioner role which a lot of people remember him for yeah that was the best his stuff with edge and christian was the greatest his commissioner shirt that reads commish and then goes down the <laughs> left hand breast. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and he'd ha- 
always have his office just set up in all sorts of weird places. Like, yeah, I remember him having it on a forklift once. And it always have like little throwbacks. Like, so his office would always have like a cactus, a lava lamp, and a little smiley face. So the smiley face was like the Mankind logo, the lava lamp obviously for Dude Love, and then the cactus for Cactus Jack. And he always had those things on his office table. I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know why I'm talking about that, but yeah. Cool. Little Easter egg. Um, yeah. But I suppose uh anything really much else to add here because it sort of shows yeah as we mentioned at the top here him playing with um i believe it's dewey and noel yeah yeah this is where he has like a little wrestle with him in his hotel room and like dewey like bust his lip open a little bit and (laughs) mick's like you got to put a bit of saliva into it and then it'll make it look like you're bleeding more. So Dewey does that. <laughs> Mick Foley, ever the worker. Yeah. It, it, it was really good. Um, the, like, when he's going backstage and his wife runs to him after the, um, the rock match and she's gone, like, Noel's going, you okay, Daddy? And he's going, yeah, Daddy's just got boo-boo. And he's like yeah, wearing like... the crimson mask, taking his leather mask off, got in one hand. His yeah, shirt's yeah. now pink. Oh, man. It's crazy. Um, I suppose, yeah, other than that, is there really anything more to touch on? Because this has just been sort of a brief, well, I suppose not so much brief anymore. <laughs> not but brief. <laughs> a, more or less an overview. Yeah, um, this is, yeah, this has been insane. <laughs> no, nah, there's not too much more to touch on. Like, yeah, all that crying stuff with that I Quit match, it's really uncomfortable to watch. But Mick Foley, oh, yeah, what is it? Um, uh, Noel says something when Mick Foley's laying down and he's got his head bandaged up, and she says to her mum, Daddy looks kind of cute. <laughs> and, and um, what is it? Mick's wife, I uh, forgot her name. But anyway, she says, yeah, he does. And then and, um, Mick like has this little, little uh, shit-eating grin on his face, like, yeah, I'm going to get some. <laughs> and you just hear in the background, like, Mick's wife just say, ow, have mercy. Like, dude, love. I popped so hard for that. Yeah, it was... I thought it was really good. Um, Just seeing Mick interact with anyone was just really intriguing. Uh, I love that, man. He was my celebrity dad. (laughs) Ah, well. um, I suppose, with that being said, uh, do we go for a beer rating? Yeah, yeah. I, I have to give it the full six. Yeah, I, as a documentary, I have to agree, it does show a lot of things that are uncomfortable to watch, like a lot of the Jake stuff and the the chair shots at the time, which you won't see, hopefully, as much anymore. No, um, we saw what happened the last time AEW tried it with Cody. Yeah, he got a terrible neck tattoo. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, what really happened? When Sean Spears hit him with the chair. Oh, yes, the chairman. Yeah, and then busted Cody open, and then they pretty much don't do as many chair shots to the head, unprotected ones anymore anyway. Wasn't there a Matt Hardy one with um, uh, no, that was Sammy when he, Guevara? That was when he fell off the scaffold and hit the back of his head on the concrete. No, it was before that in the build-up. Oh, Did yeah. Did he throw the chair at him, and it was supposed to be the big table spot, but everyone remembered him being busted open before that? Yeah, that's right. I think that was another accident. But um, Fortuitous yeah. juice? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you, though. Like, this movie is sometimes really uncomfortable to watch, but also you can't stop watching it. Like, yeah. this was the easiest 102 minutes, like, the quickest thing for me to watch. Like, it's so easy to watch. This... It flew by. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this guy, Barry W. Orson. Blaustein. Blaustein. Yeah, Blaustein. Really <laughs> hasn't done anything. <laughs> that's what I'm just looking at. Um, if there's anything of note that I know of that he's done since. Directing credits. Uh... Oh, no. He what? did The Ringer. What's that? Uh, it's a movie. Johnny Knoxville jo- movie. Johnny Knoxville uh, pretends to have a handicap to join the Special Olympics. It's just basically a whole movie making fun of the handicapped. Oh, is that that movie that everyone said was a parody of the South Park episode where yeah. they did it yeah. first? Yeah. Uh, that does not sound fun. No, it's like one of the worst movies I've ever watched, The Ringer. Oh, oh, he's still doing stuff. He has a writing credit for Coming to America, the sequel. Oh, that's another really bad comedy. Oh, you did watch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, writing credit for The Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. Oh, my God. Stay away from Eddie Murphy. You're making him do bad things. <laughs> oh, oh look, no. more Eddie Murphy credits. He must love. Oh, there must be a bit of a camaraderie there. Oh, he did coming to America. The first not, one. The first one. So that's fine. He gets a pass for that. Yeah. I, Police Academy professors. Two. Yeah. Well, both of those can go straight in the bin. Oh, the honeymooners. That was real bad too. Oh. Oh my god! Half of these movies I forgot. I, I forgot that I ever watched, but I have for good reason. I've seen almost all of these movies, and they're all pretty bad, except for Coming to America and Beyond the Mat. Yeah, um, I can't say I knew much of this guy before this, and I certainly don't know much of this guy after this. No, uh, apparently, like. Mick Foley's still really good friends with him, which doesn't surprise me at all. Mick Foley seems like the kind of guy that that if he gets along with you for 10 minutes, you're friends for life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I suppose we should uh, wrap it up. Six beers each. Uh, Alex, let the humans know where they can find you if they're good. 
You can find me at Fruity is Alex on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at WrestleOzStyle with an AUS on Instagram, Twitter. Search us up on Facebook, Wrestling Style, and you can find Chris at... at I am Chris Funder as well. You can go back and listen to the entire Wrestling Style archive for free on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, the weekly wrestling wrap available weekly on YouTube, and using the RSS feed found the show notes below for your podcast of choice, including Apple. So, nothing left to say, but good day, and we'll speak to you next time. think uh the appropriate way to go out on this podcast is for you to hit him with some terry funk forever 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 tonight (laughs) (laughs) see you all next time